Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants and everything is made from premium fabrics with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a One Bone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone, for big and all. Greetings and salutations. What is up, boys and girls, children of all ages? E. Spencer Kite finally back on the airwaves after a week of dealing with illness. Thank you for bearing with me. Thank you to returning to Keyboard Kimura. Thank you for tuning in to One Question for Every Fight for UFC 293, presented by One Bone. Takes place this Saturday, September 9th, at Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, Australia. We're just going to dive right into it. Headlined by Israel Adesanya defending the middleweight title against Sean Strickland. My question for this fight is, will Sean Strickland rise to the occasion? Now, what I mean by will Sean Strickland rise to the occasion, what I mean when I say that is this doesn't necessarily, to me, feel like a fight that Sean Strickland has to win in order for his stock to go up and us to come away from this fight with a, 
improved opinion of Sean Strickland as a fighter. Now, I think that there are a number of people whose view of Sean Strickland as a fighter cannot be separated from their view of Sean Strickland as a man, as a human being, as the person that he carries himself as in public. And I completely understand that. That is wholly acceptable to me, wholly understandable to me, because I don't want the show. I don't want the persona. I don't want any of that stuff either. I would much rather have authentic, genuine, true people coming out, competing in this cage and good people, bad people, whatever we can, we can separate those things out ideally. And if we can't, we can't, that's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that this is an opportunity for Sean Strickland, who is not necessarily an undeserving title challenger, but not exactly the guy that was at the top of the list, right? Drickus Duplessis was at the top of the list. He was unable to go this weekend. And so we moved on to Sean Strickland, who was right place, right time, next man up, having won consecutive fights this year, stepping in on short notice at the start of January, first fight of the year, first fight card, I should say, of the year, defeating Nasruddin Imovov on short notice, and then beating Abbas Magomedov in July rather handily in the second round to give himself consecutive victories after losing at the end of last year, the final main event of last year, the final fight of last year to Jared Cannonier by split decision and Alex Pahea before that. I think this is a fight where if Sean at least comes out and is competitive and presses Israel Adesanya and pushes the champion and forces Izzy to be the best version of himself, win or lose, whether he gets knocked out or we go the distance, we can at least come away from this fight going, you know what? Strickland made the trip over and he, and he gave Izzy everything that he could give. I don't think we saw that in the fight with Alex Pahea. I think there have been times, and it gets brought up rightfully so, understandably so, every time Sean Strickland fights, that you're the guy that runs around talking about you want to kill people and you want to know what it feels like and posting all the videos of all the road rage incidents and yelling at strangers. And then you get in there when you're allowed to attack someone, when you're allowed to be physical and violent and try to inflict harm on another person who has agreed to it. It's not necessarily there. And so if Sean can go out and have a performance similar to what he had, not necessarily in, in terms of the result against Abbas Magomedov, but that same kind of aggression, that same kind of attacking show us that you want to be in here, that you want to do something meaningful and purposeful and push this guy. I think he can come out of this with a loss, but his stock elevating and people saying, you know what? Like, at least you got to tip your cap to him. He bit down on his gum shield and he went forward and he took his lumps and he went into it and he, he did the right things. I would love to see Sean Strickland try to grapple in this, in this fight and try to push Israel in as many ways as possible. I don't know whether that happens, but that's my hope because I think he can, I think the skill is there and the ability is there for Sean Strickland to make this fight a closer, more competitive fight than a lot of us assume it will be. But I don't know mentally if he has that piece to him. I don't know if he's willing to accept the good, the bad, the ugly that may come with a really strong performance here. 
yet alone, heaven forbid, a championship victory here. But I want to see if he can at least rise to the occasion to give himself the best opportunity and a chance to come away from this with his stock increased regardless of the result. Co-main event, Taitu Ivasa versus Alexander Volkov. My question is, can Volkov make a run? So we talk all the time about heavyweights being that division and heavyweight being that weight class where later in your career, there is still opportunity. Alexander Volkov is 34 years old. I believe he turns 35 sometime in October. Shout out Scorpios. And he's on a nice little winning streak here coming into this fight. Consecutive first round stoppage wins over Jarzino Rosenstrike and Alexander Romanov, where he's shown more aggression and more gumption really is the word that, that comes to mind. Just to like, he's going out there and not looking to fuck around. He's going out there and looking to put you away and looking to get you out of there. And in a division right now where I think a lot of us assume that after the heavyweight championship fight at Madison Square Garden at UFC 295, which takes place in November, we are going to have a vacant title one way or the other, regardless of who wins, we will have a vacant title because the winner, the winner and loser of that fight in a lot of people's estimation, mine included, will both say thanks. See you later. Riding off into the sunset, which will leave Cyril gone. Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall, the winner of Curtis Blades in Jail Tenalmeda, and maybe Alexander Volkov as your top five. And while Volkov has already lost to a couple of those guys in Aspinall and Gan, gone, excuse me, there's nothing that says he can't reverse that. There's nothing that says he can't go out and win the second fight, especially if this shift to a more aggressive, more attacking, utilize my range, utilize my kicks up the middle, develop a little bit of power guy is something real. I'm interested in this fight on Saturday because Tai Tuivasa is the kind of guy that if this is real, we'll find out on Saturday because he'll get rid of Tuivasa in the first round. Now, I think there are some stylistic ways that if Alexander Volkov wanted to be a wrestler in this fight and drag Tai Tuivasa to the ground and use some jujitsu and look for a submission, that's certainly one path. But if he goes out and puts him away with the striking that he used to dispatch Biggie Boy, to dispatch Romanov, then we got to start, at least I think, then we got to start looking at this dude and being like, okay, this feels like a little resurgence. Because again, only 35, only in his mid-30s. And, and normally, outside of this division, we're talking about that as past his prime. But in this weight class, where we see guys enjoy success later in their career, he could be just, it could be one of those things that he's just found a little something. I'm actually talking to him later today for a piece that will be up tomorrow on UFC.com. I'm going to ask him all about this increased aggression, this newfound aggression. Hopefully I get some answers. I will put them into the story for you. Please check that out tomorrow. Really interested to see how this one goes. Middle fight on the main card in the flyweight division, Manel Cape versus Felipe Dos Santos. My question is, where does Manel Cape fit at flyweight? I don't think Saturday gives us a meaningful answer. Felipe Dos Santos tags in for Kai Cara France, who is forced to withdraw due to a concussion. Dos Santos was supposed to compete 
on week three of the contender series. His opponent missed weight by a grand amount. Fight was scrapped. Cape then had the opening open up opposite him. And Dos Santos happily tagged in. He's a member of the Shoot the Box Diego Lima camp. Guy that's going to be trained up, ready to go. And and hopefully will be in the cage, as I talked to Manel Cape about last week for the story that's up now on .com. Feeling a little bit cursed. He's not going to feel like this one's happening until he sees Dos Santos out there in the cage. Understandable given the year or really two years that he's had dealing with injuries and issues and withdrawals and Alex Perez having a seizure before their fight and things of that nature. But overall with Cape, who is a guy that a lot of us rightfully, understandably thought this guy's going to be a top five fighter. He's going to challenge for the title in this division. He hasn't quite gotten there yet. And there's been some good flashes. There's been very good performances against Ode Osborne and Jalgis Zhumagulov. I think he played with his food a little bit against David Dvorak. And he admitted that when we spoke of like, I could have been a little more focused. I could have been a little more dialed in. Appreciate that recognition. But he also lost a decision to the current champ, Alexandre Pantoja in his debut and dropped a split decision to Matias Nicolaou in his sophomore appearance that even if you argue he should have won that fight and many people believe he did enough to win that fight, it was a close enough fight where it gives me that pause of like, does this guy, he feels like one of those guys to me that believes he has the switch that he can flip whenever he wants to. And it's not actually quite there. I think he's somebody that needs to be dialed in and tuned on right off the bat and get out there and just run roughshod through people. I think he needs to be somebody. I think he's somebody that needs to run redlining right out of the gate. And if it doesn't end early, if it doesn't end in that first round, if that initial flurry, that initial storm doesn't sweep somebody under, then you make the adjustments and you build from there and you reset from there. But looking at this division and the landscape of it and the depth of talent that's coming along, I don't know where he fits right now. And while I think Saturday doesn't necessarily answer the question, how he performs against a 22-year-old newcomer that took the fight two weeks ago and was only going to be on Contender Series. This isn't a 22-year-old newcomer that's been showing out elsewhere was just going to be auditioning for a chance to compete in the UFC. Comes from a good good team, comes from a great gym. Totally respect those guys. Diego Lima is a terrific coach. But how he looks against Dos Santos is going to tell me a little bit more about how he could potentially fare once he gets back in there with the top five guys in this division. Because right now the evidence says he can't beat them. Or it's at least, at the very least, it's close competitive fights and they're a little step ahead of him. I, I thought he was going to be a contender. He hasn't gotten there yet. And I want to see if he can in the next 12 to 18 months and how he looks on Saturday is going to help inform that decision. Next up heavyweight division, Justin Taffa versus Austin Lane running it back from their fight in Jacksonville that ended early due to an eye poke. My question is, can Tafa be the next to Ivasa? So there's certainly going to be some people that are like damning with faint praise, giving him, you know, the career of Tai to Ivasa. But as you folks know, 
that have listened to me for a long time that have paid attention to this program since its inception here on the YouTube channel. Being tied to Ivas is a pretty good life, man. Top 10 fighter in the UFC, headlined some shows, probably making good bank, reasonable bank. Everybody deserves more. Don't get me wrong, but probably doing all right for himself. Had some big wins, been in some big fights, had some opportunities. Tafa has won prior to, so prior to his initial booking with Austin Lane, which as I said, ended early in the first round due to an accidental eye poke. He had earned back-to-back first round stoppage wins. He's 29 years old, turns 30 at the end of the year. And is one of those guys that just feels like as he continues to gain experience, as he continues to build and grow and train with his brother, Junior, who just got a win a couple weeks ago against Parker Porter and some of the people that are around them, can he be someone that develops into a lower third of the top 15 guy at heavyweight? And again, I know people are going to roll their eyes and be like, big deal. It's heavyweight. It's the lower third. That's good living if you can get it. It's better than being outside of the top 15. It's better than not being in the UFC. And so for me, as I've sort of talked about a bunch of times over the years, I'm trying to change out my expectations. I'm trying to change out the way I view success and what it means to be successful at this level. Because I tell you what, it's hard to be successful at this level. Reese McKee was dominating fools in Cage Warriors, looking great, coming back, rallying, having good wins. He can't buy a victory in the UFC as of right now. And so if Tafa can string together a couple of wins, keep building, keep growing, develop into a top 15 guy, even if it is 11 to 15, got to take that, man. That's, that's good living if you can get it. Main card opener, light heavyweight division, Tyson Pedro versus Anton Turkai, Turkali. My question is, has Pedro addressed the gaps in his game? So I will acknowledge right here, right now for all of you that I am a, a long time fighter. I can't quit Tyson Pedro guy. He has always been somebody that I've been high on, that I've been fascinated by, that I've always wanted to give the benefit of the doubt. He struggled through three or four years of injuries, came back, had a couple of good wins over guys that hadn't had any success in the UFC. So certainly didn't overrate victories over Ike Villanueva or Harry Hunsucker. And then last time out earlier this year, drops a decision to Modestus Bokoskis in a fight where he starts well and just fades, just doesn't have the gas tank. And if you look at his career, his wins are all first round wins. When he gets into later stages, it doesn't go well. And so that's sort of my question is after that loss, now that he's been back, now that there's no more question of health and can he compete at this level again and things of that nature, has he addressed the conditioning? Has he bolted on some elements or just even improved the execution of things in terms of his offensive repertoire? Has he built some new wrestling in? Has he built some new striking setups and and attacks into his game from working over at City Kickboxing? Has he used that time training with Israel Adesanya and learning from Israel Adesanya to build up even just the self-confidence and belief that he can go out there and execute? Because physically, talent-wise, I think we've all seen positive flashes 
where you go, this guy could could maybe be something, right? Early wins over Khalil Roundtree and Paul Craig aren't wins that you just come by if you're some dude. But it hasn't been there since. And I just wonder, has he missed that window? Did he miss that opportunity to build those things out? Is it just not there for him? Or in the time since February, has he gone back and addressed those gaps and filled those holes in his game to where he can go out, have some success on Saturday and start moving forward again? Move to the prelims, but stay in the light heavyweight division. Carlos Alberg versus Da Eun Jung. And my question is, is Alberg someone who we should really watch at light heavyweight? So three fight winning streak now, sorry, four fight winning streak now, three straight first round finishes. And it's it's been really good. It's been really nice. We've seen the impre- improvements. We've seen the progression of the striking from a guy that came in and was a not heralded kickboxer in the way that Izzy was, but somebody that had some higher level kickboxing experience and big power that is now learning to use those things, but in concert with being in an MMA fight and being in the octagon and using his footwork and his movement and his range and setting things up and letting guys come to him. He's looked really good. He's looked really good against that lower half of the division. Now he's starting to get into that middle pack and looking to move forward. And it's going to be interesting to see, right? Daun Jung was kind of in this same spot a couple fights ago when he went into the fight with Dustin Jacoby last year on Long Island. Went out there, tried to just go shot for shot, tried to just play Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and he ended up being the one that got popped. Came out last time, lost a fight to Devin Clark, where Devin Clark showed some good resilience, showed some good tenacity, and got a victory. Alberg, to me, profiles as somebody that we should be paying attention to. I don't want to put too much stock into a victory over Da Eun Jung on Saturday, if that is how things play out in Sydney, Australia. Because I think Jung is going to be willing to go out there and mix it up. And then you're just dealing with who gets caught first and who eats one first. But the footwork we've seen, the movement we've seen, the shot selection we've seen from Black Jag, all profiles to me as this dude's getting better. He has power. He has size. He has reach. He has length. He's with a great camp in City Kickboxing. Great minds there that will help build him feels like somebody we should maybe be paying attention to. We'll find out a little more on Saturday. Move to featherweight, Jack Jenkins versus Chepe Marichal. And my question is, is there another level to Jack Jenkins? So far, Jenkins is 2-0 in the UFC. And as always, never going to knock victories. You go out and get wins. I don't care if they're split decision wins, like the last one against Jamal Emmers, where a whole bunch of people are upset that you got the nod. You got the nod. Your record says you're 2-0. You're 2-0, more power to you. Those are good wins. Jamal Emmers is a good win. The win over Don Shanus in February. Get your beak wet, get your feet wet in the UFC. You get your first victory, away we go. But what I want to find out is, is there more to Jack Jenkins? Because right now, he's profiling as somebody that is going to be a just above that mid-pack. He's going to be a Jamal Emmers. Perennial tough out, guy that's pretty good everywhere fairly well-rounded, very good conditioning, not going to go away easy, miserable night at the office for anybody, but not necessarily somebody 
that's going to go on and challenge for the title and push for the rankings and things of that nature as he wanted to do, as he talked about doing coming off contender series, kind of wanting to follow in the footsteps of Jack Della Maddalena. I don't know that he has it. I think Sunday is going to tell us a little bit more because one of the things I know about Chepe Marichal is that he's going to come a hundred and he's going to look to get you out of there and he's going to be a pain in your ass and he's going to press. And if you're not up for it, if you don't have that next gear, if there isn't more to you than what we've seen, he's going to beat you. He's that kind of fighter. We saw that in his debut, right? Waltzed in on short notice, up a division, was just like, cool, I'm better than you, Trevor Peak. So you can throw those bombs and you could be wild and crazy. I'm going to deal with it and then I'm going to have more gas and I'm going to still beat you. This is a more competitive fight, I think, than that one because I think Jack Jenkins has more to his game, certainly, than Trevor Peak does. And it's back down at the natural weight class. So the conditioning and the ability to push isn't necessarily there the same way. For Chepe, who has to make weight this time and has to cut weight, I should say, this time around. But we're going to find out. Jenkins is somebody that coming off contenders, I was very interested in. I wanted to see this year. Wanted to see where he got to. In part because Della looked so good in year one. And not that they were apples to apples. Not that it was a one-to-one. But just we saw what Della did coming off contenders. Guy from Australia. Flash is good experience. Good winning streak. Now here comes Jack. So far, it's been good. Two wins are two wins. It's very good. Let's make sure that part is clear. Now let's just see if there's another step we can get to. Move to the lightweight division, Jamie Malarkey versus John McDessie. My question is, what did Jamie Malarkey learn from the upset loss? So last time out, he had a little bit of shuffling of opponents Eventually ended up on Muhammad Naimov. And in the second round of that fight, where he felt he was dominating, where he felt he was going to be hands down, able to defeat this man, he walked into a bomb and got put out. And I tell you what, I haven't been in there to catch one of those, never will be. But I would have to imagine that a loss like that, when going into things, you are so certain you are going to victor you are going to be victorious excuse me does one of two things you either come out of it and go ah it's just a shot he got lucky would never happen again or you look inwards and you say it's probably overconfident i was i was a little too sure that i was just going to run through this dude and at this level whether it's brand new And short notice and not my division, I can't do that. And I'm really curious to see which which side of that Jamie Malarkey comes out on. John McDessie is a guy that if it is the former, if he chalks up that loss to guy landed a lucky shot, it's going to be a real competitive fight on, on Saturday. Because John McDessie moves well, strikes well, Savvy veteran dude beat Jamie Malarkey's coach in Ross Pearson five years ago. Still sticking around. Still a tough out. Good, hard-nosed Canadian veteran. And if you're not in there expecting a long night at the office, if you're in there thinking that last guy just happened to catch me and I'll just go out and run through John McDessie, John McDessie might put you out. John McDessie might go out there and beat you 
the same way he beat Ignacio Bahamundas in his debut, same way he's beaten a whole bunch of guys over the years. Now, if you've looked at it from the, I was overconfident, I didn't give this guy enough respect, I've got to bring my A game 100% of the time, I think Jamie Malarkey can dominate this fight. So we're going to see. We will know. I think we will know in the first, like, two minutes of this fight what that loss to Muhammad Naimov did to Jamie Malarkey and what it means going forward. Because he was in a good little, on a good little run there prior to that loss. Had one, two straight. Only loss in there was Jalen Turner. Two more wins prior to the loss to Turner. And then that knockout sort of sets things akimbo and knocks things askew. Let's see how he's recovered. Let's see what the mindset is coming into this one. It's going to tell us a lot. Sticking around the lightweight division, Nazrat Hakparast versus Landon Quinones. And my question is, can Hakparast take the next step? I have been asking this question for several years now. And it's interesting because Hakparast is still only 28, which shows how, how long he's been in the UFC, how early he got to the UFC how much promise he's shown at times. But I also kind of feel like we're getting to that point where it's like, if it's coming, it's got to come. And I don't necessarily think that this fight gives us a full valid answer because Landon Quinones is stepping in on short notice. He's a guy that was on the ultimate fighter this year as a member of team McGregor and got washed by Jason Knight, making poor decisions of taking Jason Knight to the ground where he just locked up a triangle and we were done in a hurry. It's a fight typically that Nas- Nasrat Hakparast wins and wins handily. This is that level of fight where he always draws us back in, where he always shows out and we go, man, the jab's great. The wrestling's good when he wants to use it. Moves well. Man, there's something there. Feels like there's something. And then he gets a bump up in competition and he goes out and he gets beat up by Bobby Green or he gets beat up by Drew Dober, whoever it is. And we come back and he gets a victory. And then we get to this point again, right? Last time out a year ago, beat John McDessie. Here we are. Can he take the next step? I don't know if it's ever going to come. He's another one of these guys that I'm always going to be sitting here. Probably two years from now, when he's 30 years old, I will be sitting here in front of all of this, in front of you, asking this same question. When he's won three and lost one and Still sitting here going, can this guy take it, take the next step? He's probably already answered the question. That right there is probably already the answer to the question. But at 28, with some of the flashes that we've seen, I'm not ready to close the door. And I want to see if he at least shows that traditional level of dominance at this level on Saturday. Because that, to me, will help indicate whether there is the possibility of taking that next step somewhere down the line. Move to the welterweight division, Mike Diamond versus Charlie Radke. My question is, can Radke show he belongs? This is one of those fights where I'm not expecting great things from a 33-year-old newcomer, even though he's fought CFFC, which I have a great deal of respect for that team, that promotion, the people that have come through there, the people that continue to compete there. I think it is one of the best regional promotions in the world, yet alone North America. But like, this is one where, you know, going out and just winning a decision against Mike Diamond isn't really going to tell me that much. Blood Diamond to me is one of those guys that 
shouldn't have been signed by the UFC in the first place. We've seen the struggles. 0-2, first round submission loss to Jeremiah Wells. Dropped a decision decision to Orion Kosi last time out. I expect him to lose here. I expect Charlie Radke to get a victory here in his UFC debut. Now the question is, can he show that he's better than just a guy that's able to beat Mike Diamond? Because Orion Kosi showed that he can beat Mike Diamond, but he can't beat anybody else. So can you go out and do something that makes me go, okay, there's a little more here than can just get by Blood Diamond? That's what I want to see. That's what I'm looking for. In fights like this, where it's a 33-year-old newcomer, I need more than just can go out and get a win over somebody at the bottom of the talent pool in the welterweight division. And I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not trying to be overly critical, but that's what we're looking at here. This is the bottom end of the welterweight talent pool. Can you show me something more than just I'm able to edge past this guy that can't get a victory? That's what I'm looking for. It's not the most, it's not the biggest sell job. It's not a great advertisement for this fight. I think people have already made up their mind on this fight card already in terms of whether they're in or out. I will say that this is a fight card for the Australian, New Zealand, Oceanic fan base, far more so than the North American audience and North American audiences need to learn those things and understand those things a little bit better. But we just got to see if Charlie Radke can show something more than I'm able to, to slide past this dude. That's what I'm looking for on Saturday. Two left, featherweight division, Shane Young versus Gabriel Miranda. My question is, will Young snap out of his funk? Shane Young is somebody that I was really interested in seeing. Um, came into the UFC, lost to Alexander Volkanovsky in his debut. No shame in that. Got two victories. Lost a short notice fight. So Ludovic Klein stepped in on short notice, missed weight. Shane Young lost, first round head kick loss. And that one felt like it was a little bit of like, ah, did he really try to make the weight? Did he really try to get down? We're not sure. Give him, give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's see the next one. He's lost two more since then. So he comes into this one on a three fight slide. And it's just sort of, it's sort of put up or shut up time. Not shut up in the sense of like Shane Young's been out here saying I'm better than Shane Young doesn't talk. I respect the dude that just goes out, tries to handle his business, wants to, wants to perform, wants to do well for his community, wants to do well for his people. Respect the hell out of Shane Young. But can he just go out there and get out of this funk? Can he go out there and show he belongs at this level? The wins so far are over guys that haven't hung around in the UFC and Rolando D and Austin Arnett. Gabriel Miranda lost his debut to Benoit Saint-Denis, so we're not sure whether that's a like solely because Benoit Saint-Denis is terrific, as it turns out, or that Gabriel Miranda isn't great and Benoit Saint-Denis is very, very good. But we'll find out a little bit more about that on Saturday. And we'll find out if Shane Young can just be a guy that win one, lose one, can hang around in this division, can be a part of shows like this, can have some success is better than those three straight losses. That's what I want to see. Are you better than those three straight losses? We've had very good fighters lose three straight in the UFC. It happens. Sometimes things just, right? You get the Ludwig Klein fight where a guy takes a fight on short notice, doesn't really work that hard to cut the weight, comes in overweight, gives you some of his money, but kicks you in the head and you're done. 
It happens. Let's see if he can snap out of it. In the opener, welterweight division, Kevin Jusset versus Kiefer Crosby. And my question is, what do these guys bring to the table? So this is one of those fights to me where, again, no disrespect to these two men who have been working hard for their whole careers to get to this point. Jusset is 30 years old, eight and two overall, city kickboxing guy. Kiefer Crosby is 33, 10 and three overall, SBG Ireland guy. Certainly been working to get here. Both are on reasonable little win streaks. Kiefer Crosby in his last MMA fight beat Alex Oliveira. Kevin Jusset is, is as, eight, as I said, eight and two, coming off a couple of good wins on the Australian regional circuit. But for me, this is one of those fights where I look at it and go, there weren't a couple, you know, promising 25-year-olds that could have earned this spot. Like, I get it that it's sticking another CKB guy on there in, in Jusset to get him on this card with the rest of his teammates. Makes sense down in the region. But there wasn't somebody from the region or the area that could face him instead of Kiefer Crosby, instead of a 33-year-old that had mixed results in Bellator. And again, it's not to besmirch Kiefer Crosby. It's just when I'm looking at the roster and I look at the number of people that are coming into the roster, both through Contender Series, which is everybody's point of contention, as always, and just in general that are getting signed, there isn't some 27-year-old that's on a four or five fight winning streak with a couple good wins that we could assign to fill one of these spots. That's just who I would rather see. Again, no disrespect to these two guys. Happy for them that they have gotten here, that they are getting this opportunity, that they're competing on the biggest stage in the sport on a pay-per-view to open up the show, that Kevin Doucette is going to get a huge ovation when he comes out in Sydney. It's cool. I'm happy for them. But as a long-range thinker and somebody looking down the road, could this roster spot have been better utilized with a 24 to 27-year-old that's on the come-up that still has some un unforeseen upside, unrecognized upside, I should say, rather than a pair of veteran welterweights that, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a pop on Saturday. This fight will get a pop and it'll be a competitive fight. They're both tough dudes. They're both competitive dudes. It's going to be a good fight to open the show. That's not what this is about. This is just, could we have used this roster spot better? Which is the thing I think we're going to be talking about a whole lot in the coming months as we continue to burn through contender series weeks where every fighter gets a contract. And like yesterday was one of the toughest ones with Dylan Budka getting a contract. I'm not getting into it but it's tough. And so could we have brought somebody else in here? Could these spots have gone to somebody with a little more upside? That's all I'm saying. Dana likes to talk all the time about, we only want guys that can be world champions and that can move forward and progress and all of those things. These guys don't fit that bill. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out, how their careers play out going forward. But we'll see. That's it for the show. As always, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Check out the boys at OneBone, OneBoneBrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite. If you do purchase something, use that name, Spencer Kite, at checkout for 20% off your first order. It is a one-time code, but I assure you, I will have future codes for you as a OneBone ambassador, as somebody that's always rocking the OneBone. 
I will take care of you as best as I can forever and ever. Amen. Scan that QR code that is on the screen if you are watching on YouTube. If not, spencerkite.substack.com for the Keyboard Camort newsletter. Everything that comes out into your inbox, $0 subscription, $5 a month, 50 bucks for a year. However you sign up, you're welcome to the family. We're happy to have you. Appreciate you tuning in. Back tomorrow with 10 things. It's UFC 293 Fight Week, baby. It's time to go. It's good to be back. I'm happy to be home. Fresh and clean. Thanks to the boys at Empire Fade. Shout out to them. 